Good morning, church. Man, what an exciting time to be together and dig into God's Word to discover how we're, we're called to journey together, to live together, to be like Jesus, to be the light all around us. And these next few weeks, we're digging into marriage specifically and that partnership for life and how the Bible calls us to, to live that out each and every day. Now, I will say that today is a, a great day because you're going to get to hear a lot of different things that will help you in different relationships, not just your marriage relationships. So uh, know that, but we are specifically pouring into and talking about marriage in this series that we're calling Fixer Upper. Because no matter if you're in a serious dating relationship, no matter if you've been married a year or 40 years, none of our marriages are perfect. And we all could use a little sprucing up a little now and then. And uh, so this series is reminding us what we're called to live out as we try to live like Jesus and serve him in our everyday life. Now, like last week, we're going to start out in Genesis chapter 2, and I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. Our text will be on the screen as well. I want to remind you too, we're talking about pursuing our two today. And so I've created some uh, date night opportunities for you. They're coupons located out on the Welcome Center. I think one of them is Mo Tim's Yard. Another one is uh, <laughs> Trim the Trees. It's a great couple activity, I'll promise you. You'll learn a lot. No. Honestly, if you're up for it, I want you to take the challenge. These coupons are located out on the welcome desk. They're folded so you can't really see what they are. Just grab one and go. But the challenge is, if you're up for it, to grab one of those and over the next two weeks, make that happen in your life, in your marriage, in your dating situation, wherever you find yourself. If you're like, eh, I don't know if I want to be risky. I don't know if I'm actually going to follow through. Then please don't pick one up. There's a limited number out there and I want couples to really dig in and make some time uh, to do uh, some kind of date night opportunity. All of these exist over in Arlington, and so it's pretty easy to do. You can make it as uh, light financially as you want to or as heavy as you want to, whichever way. So pick one of those up on the way out uh, the door this morning. Because my guess is, if you're like me, you, you've had the opportunity for some date night moments. And some of those have probably been memorable. Some of those are kind of the same old, same old that you tend to do from time to time. And uh, Robin and I have had that opportunity when we lived in Ponca City many years ago. Uh, we were early on in our marriage and we had decided we were staying in too often, that we weren't taking some initiatives and doing some new and fun things. So we bought this book that had a bunch of coupons in it uh, about uh, encouraging you to do date night. Now they were, they were folded up so you couldn't see what the date is. It just said for him or for her. And then it had kind of a title for the date. And so I remember one, um, I looked through the book and it was my, my turn to get the date. Robin was going to do it for me. And so I picked this one and it said France or French or something like that on there. I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So uh, we got home from work on Friday night. We had got a sitter for the kids. The boys were very young at the time. And uh, so we got in the car, and Robin starts playing this Celine Dion CD in French. She's singing in French. I thought, okay, this is kind of interesting. May not have been my choice for music, but hey, it's the date night. We're going to do the thing. So we drove out to the lake there in Ponca City. The sun was setting. She reaches in the back seat to get a bag, and she pulls out baguettes with fruit and cheese and some different things. I thought, oh, I like this part of the date. This is good. Food's always a good thing. Uh, and then after we finished eating, she reached back, got another bag, pulled it out, and she got out watercolors and canvas. And so we sat there in the car. We painted the sunset to the best of our ability. It was a very French date, um, <laughs> I guess. And uh, 
we kind of chuckle about that now, but that was years ago, and we remember it because we kind of got out of the ordinary. We were wooing each other again. We were kind of at it again, just like we're in the dating scene, and it was a great time, and we chuckle about it now, but see, we still remember that moment in time. And you no doubt have had dates like that in your own life, moments where you kind of did something risky, a little crazy, something different than you'd ever done before. I don't know what that looks like in your life, maybe, maybe singing to her outside the dorm window at the college that you attended, or, or late night uh, eating moments, or who knows what it was. But you can remember those moments uh, and recall those in your dating life. And uh, they were really special because you took advantage of the moment, you, you took the initiative, you took the risk, and you kind of stepped out there. And it's because by nature, we as people pursue what we do not have. And that works for anything in life, whether that's business, whether that's money, the new house, whatever it might be, but certainly in relationships. And then certainly in our marriages, as we look to our spouse, we pursue the things that we don't have in life. And you and I have done some crazy things for love uh, over periods of time. But maybe in your life, there's been moments when you woke up one morning and you thought, where's the love? Where, where's the romance? Where's the intimacy? Why can't it be like it used to be? Because we're just not there anymore. And I think what we'll discover if we're truly unbiased about looking into how things are going, we'll realize that we have not prioritized like we should have in our lives. Last year we took a look, or last week rather, we took a look at the idea that we're going to make sure that Jesus is priority in our life, and that we're going to make sure that we're pursuing our two, our spouse in our life. Because what other part of your life can just excel and be excellent if you're not working hard at it? I mean, what, what is going to run ahead of you and, and have a glowing report if you're not invested in it? I mean, you take a look at a business that you might be starting up. If you decide to kind of kick back and coast, that thing is going to go nowhere and you'll probably be filing for bankruptcy. I mean, the truth is you've got to take time to pour into that, your own physical health. I mean, if you're on the couch every night eating ice cream at 9 p.m. and not going to the gym, you, your body is going to show that a little bit. Somebody after first service said, is that you? Or are you sitting on the couch eating ice cream? And I had to confess, yes, that's me. Haven't been to the gym this year. Need to make that happen. But if you don't pour into things, it's just not going to work out. Your finances. You're not just going to uh, stick money away and do well if you're not intentional about getting at the kitchen table, sitting down with your spouse, making a budget, sticking some money back in savings, spending less, going out less, those kind of things, it's just not going to happen. Spring is right around the corner. Your yard is no doubt uh, suffering right now, but you're going to get out there once the weather warms up. You're going to plant some flowers. You're going to do some yard work, trim some trees fix the hedges, whatever it might be. It won't happen unless you get off the couch and do it. And speaking about yards, if somebody else's yard is greener, then you need to start watering your own yard. I mean, if you are looking around and seeing folks who interest you in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in your friend group, at Walmart, you need to find another store to shop at. But anyway, <laughs> honestly, if the grass is looking greener around you, you need to water your own yard. Pour into your marriage. Figure out what's it going to take to green it up yet again. I mean, last week we looked at this idea that God is your one and your spouse is your two. 
that we're going to make God a priority in our marriages. And if we truly believe that and if we dive into it, it's going to make all the difference in the world in your marriage when you make Jesus the center of what's going on in your marriage, in your relationships. And today we're going to make the promise that I'm going to continue to pursue my two. And so whoever that person is, you're going to continue to woo them and pour into them to date them and not just coast that we're making a commitment that God is going to be my one and my, spirit, my uh, spouse is going to be my two. I mean, look at what the writer says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. He says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And so early on, we know that God calls us to make God the center of our relationships. And early on, we cling, we hold tightly to our parents. But there comes a point in time when you leave your parents and you find the, the one for you, the, the two, the one you're going to spend your life with and you cling to your spouse and you begin to build relationship not only with them, but with God in the midst of you. You move forward in that moment. We leave home and we reprioritize, not with our parents, but now with our spouse. Now, the word united in this text is the Hebrew word debak. Say that with me. Debak. Well, that sounded good. Let's do it again. Debak. Now, I like saying Hebrew. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for the courtesy laugh. But it really means to cling to or adhere to to run after with affection and devotion. It's this idea that you are going to not be separated from whatever that thing is that you are clinging to. And it's all over the Old Testament, used in different contexts, the same word. For instance, David talks about his relationship with God in Psalm 63. And he says, I will cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me tightly or securely. And this idea for David is that I'm united with God, that we're so close that we actually can hold hands, that nothing is going to separate me from being in the presence of God. That's how closely I want to be reunited and united to God. Job talks about two inanimate objects being put together in Job 41. He says the, the scales stick together tightly and that nothing really comes in between them. It's the same Hebrew word. And so as we think about our relationships and specifically our marriage today, it's this idea that we're going to be so close. We're not going to allow anything to get in between us, that we're going to be so close and in each other's space that we're going to be holding hands through life together. It's just that important. Now, there are a lot of relationships in the Old Testament that kind of show this kind of idea, but one of the best ones that I know is found in Genesis 29. We're not going to go there in Scripture. I want to tell the story this morning. It's going to be one that you've probably heard before about a guy named Jacob. Jacob will eventually become, his name will change to Israel, and he'll have the 12 sons, which will become the 12 tribes of Israel. But at this point in the story, uh, he's not married. And he lives in Canaan with his dad, and he knows it's time to get married. His dad wants him to go find a wife, and so he sends him back to the old land where they came from, where they know they've got extended family. And so Jacob arrives uh, alone. He is single, but he is on a mission. He's on a mission from his dad, his mom, and God. He knows he's there to find a wife. And so he stops at this well outside of the area where he's supposed to be traveling to, and different shepherds and their herds are coming up to the, to the well to get watered. And some of the shepherds begin to bully a girl by the name of Rachel, who's there with her father's flocks. And he kind of stands up for her, takes up for her, makes sure that she gets in and, and takes care. 
of, of her flocks. Uh, and then she kind of, he kind of reveals to her what he's there for. They realize that their extended family, and so she goes home to tell her dad Laban that I met this guy named Jacob, and here's what he told me. God has sent him here uh, to find a wife, and he's part of our family. And Laban said, why did you leave him out there? I mean, he took up for you, and why don't you bring him home for dinner? So sure enough, he did. And, and as they did in olden times, they negotiated for the bride price. So Jacob tells Laban, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. Now, I will say, Rachel has an older sister as well. Her name is Leah. And the descriptions of the two girls are very uh, focused. Scripture says that Rachel was beautiful in form and figure. She was muy bonita. <laughs> I did that good, didn't I? I'm learning. And Leah, it says, she had weak eyes. Now, that's the biblical way to say she's got a nice personality, but uh, <laughs> maybe not so hot. Well, they get there to dinner, and Jacob says, I want to marry Rachel. And they begin to work out this deal where Jacob is going to work for Rachel for seven years. Laban says, you be a shepherd with my flocks. You take care of my business, and in seven years, you'll be married to my daughter. Now, one of the sweet things that happens in that moment is as he's working, Jacob says, the seven years were like one day. It moved by so quickly because they saw each other every day. They made eyes at each other every day. They gave each other a wink every day. They knew what was coming. We're going to be together. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And then came the seven-year period. It's time for the wedding. So there's a big feast. The village turns out. There's a big dance and lots of food. The bride comes to the ceremony in full regalia. The only thing you can see are her eyes. And he goes to his tent after all the festivities are over, Jacob does. His wife comes in. They sleep together. And the next morning in the morning light, it's not Rachel. It's Leah. I know. Tell me. That's, that would be a shock. He's absolutely livid. And so he leaves his tent. He goes, finds Laban. He goes, you tricked me. This is not what I signed up for. I did seven years for, for Rachel. Remember the one that's beautiful in figure and face and everything else? That's the one I signed up for. And Laban says, well, in our culture, we don't allow the younger sister to marry before the older one. And so you have to marry the older one. But I'm willing to let you marry Rachel as well. Now, most of us grew up thinking that he worked seven more years before he got Rachel. But if you read the text, it's actually only a week. So he marries Leah. It's seven days. And then he gets to marry Rachel. But then he has to work seven more years to fulfill the commitment of getting both wives. It's this idea of, I'll do anything to get to you. I, I'll live in such a way that I'm, I'm going to have you at the end of the day, or whatever it takes. I'm going to be there for you. I want to be a part of your life. I want to be what's, what's the next thing that you see every single day. That's who I want to be. And Jacob worked for that. You know, God wants that for us as well in our marriages. God wants us to have that kind of heart, that kind of spirit where we're pursuing each other and it doesn't end on day one or week one, but it's continuous throughout the course of our, our life together. I mean, I mean, you remember the dating scene early on for some of us that was some time ago for others in this room, maybe you're in the middle of it right now. But you remember, guys, uh, we would work all week long and come home and we'd actually worry about personal hygiene for Friday night. 
take the shower, comb the hair, trim everything up. We'd brush the teeth. I mean, whatever. We'd put on fresh clothes, uh, and we would make sure that the dinner and the movie was the right one or the concert maybe she wanted to go to. And, and ladies, on your part, it was much the same. You came home and made sure that you, you looked right for the evening and you couldn't wait to get there. And, and you laughed at all those corny jokes and the list goes on and on. You remember those date night moments. I want to speak to those who aren't married in the room right now. If you're seeing someone right now and there is not mutual pursuit you need to reevaluate your relationship. If you're the only one in that moment pursuing, there's a problem in the relationship. You need to think about what you're doing and who you're with. Now, even way back when I was a youth minister, I would talk to the young ladies in our youth group when they were dating, and this is so true. I still believe this today. If he isn't treating you like a queen, he ain't worth it you need to walk away because, ladies, you are worth it. Guys, if when you pick her up, the only thing she talks about is her world, what's going on around her life, and she's not inquiring about you and your world, she's not worth it. You need to be pursuing one another equally because pursuit generally goes down when you get married. After all, we've, we've achieved the goal. We, we've got the spouse. We're moving on. I've got the piece of paper that says you're mine. And so the, the wooing kind of goes down. So if it's not happening while you're dating, the likelihood is it won't happen after you say, I do. But practically, how do we live that out in our own lives? I mean, almost no one gets married and then says, you know what, my goal today when my head pops up off the pillow is to make her life miserable. No one wakes up saying that. No, no one jumps out of bed and says, man, I can't wait to just wreck his afternoon. <laughs> Nobody signs up for that. Nobody starts with that. I mean, nobody says, you know what, why, why don't we get married? We'll collect some things along the way in six, seven, eight years. We'll split it 50-50. No one has that as a goal in mind when you get married and you start the journey together. We all have good intentions, but many times life just kind of wears us down, doesn't it? Sometimes we get tired at the job. The, the finances seem to always be a wreck. What, whatever the situation is, we get worn down. And so this morning, real quickly, I want to give you three ideas that I think will work very well for you in your marriage. And the first one is this. When you think something good, say it. I mean, how many of us have thought something positive, even not about your spouse, about the cashier, about your boss, whoever? You thought something positive and you didn't say it. Raise your hand if, that's, if you've ever been there before. Yeah, most of us have been there. I mean, why would you ever deprive your spouse of affirmation? Why would you not tell them the kind of person that you think they are? I mean, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, the message version of the Bible, says, for as long as it's God's today, keep each other on your toes so sin doesn't slow down your reflexes. And this idea that while we affirm each other, while we kind of running life together, that while we affirm one another, it kind of keeps sin at bay uh, to some degree. Tell her great stuff. Tell him great stuff. Guys, I want to talk to you a minute. Pursue her with words of affection. Now, that's non-physical affection. I have to reiterate that for guys. Non-physical affection. Words of affection. 
I mean, what's the three words that we use so often, and some of us need to use it more, but I love you. I want to encourage you to add a word to that phrase, because it will change the way you interact with your spouse. I love you because you're an incredible mother to our children. I love you because you support me in decisions that are made uh, in our home and for our finances. I I love you because of your work ethic. I love you because of the brownies that you make are just awesome. I I don't know what it would be for you, but pour into her. Give her words of affection. And ladies, pursue him with words of affirmation. He will become whatever you tell him he is. It's so important that we realize that. I mean, when when Robin looks at me in my life and and how I am involved, so involved in church work and ministry and other people's lives, when when she says, Tim, you're a great man of God. You're a great leader. I love the way you're a husband to me. I love the way that you uh, lead our boys as their father. When she says those kind of things, my heart goes crazy, and I just want to do those things more. It's so true that, guys, we need a lot of affirmation. But when you give it to us, then we we end up living into that more. But the opposite is equally true. If you tell your man that he's an idiot, he's stupid, he doesn't know what he's doing, he's going to become those things. Because the more we hear about who we are, we just kind of settle into that's who we are. And even if he's not there fully spiritually yet, find small ways to encourage him on his spiritual journey. Be the person that you can be for him in the marriage. Because at the end of the day, she wants to know, do you love me today? And at the end of the day, he wants to know, do you believe in me today? Do you love me today? Do you believe me today? If you think something, say it. The second idea is this, when you think something special, do it. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of times I've talked myself out of a, a weekend event, uh, uh, a run into town, a, a date night out on the trail, whatever it might have been. I've just decided, you know what, it'd just be easier. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too wet or whatever it might be. And we just sit on the couch and watch TV. And that's okay to do, by the way. Having one of those kind of date nights is a-okay staying in. But if you think of something special, do it. Guys, come home a little early from work one day and let her know, hey, let's go on a walk. Let's go to the park and talk about our one-year plan or where we're going to be in three years. Take some time to to take a nature trail and take in God's creation together. Enjoy each other in the moment. Send flowers to her randomly and make sure that she gets them in front of her friend group, maybe at her workplace or wherever it might be. So I'm Do that for Valentine's Day, the anniversaries, all that good stuff, but just randomly every once in a while. Go to her workplace if you've got time, pick up her car, clean it up, and send it back. When she gets in it, she'll think, oh, man, he thought about me today. Take the time to do those random acts of kindness to let her know that you care. And equally, ladies, do that with him too. We love shared activity time. We love being together with you, and specifically in moments that we find important, like our hobbies. Take time to go with him to the lake or the golf course or whatever it might be, the thing that he really enjoys doing. Take time to pick up those maybe ball ball game tickets that he's been talking about. Let him know early on in the day, hey, when you get home, get ready, we're going to the game, I got tickets, or that concert, whatever it might be. Know that he loves shared activity. If you think something special, do it. 
And finally, when you think something different, be it. When you think something different, be it. And so many times in our marriages, we say, you know what, I, I, would, I would act differently toward them if they would toward me. I, I would speak differently if they spoke differently to me. If they were just a different person, I would be a different person. And the blame game begins. The, the finger pointing begins. Don't gripe about what a spouse is not. You become who God wants you to be. Think about that. No matter what's being said, and sometimes the emotions kind of rage, sometimes we get bent out of shape, but you remember who you're called to be. Be the light. Be Jesus. Yes, even in your own marriage, even when they're not acting maybe the way that you would hope that they would. No one has ever criticized their self into a better marriage. You are responsible for you. Rob and I have a great marriage, but at the end of the day, I can't really control what she does. I can control my reactivity, or being proactive in the moment. I can control me. If you don't like what you're getting, then look at what you're giving in the relationship. This book came out a, a few years ago, and I want to challenge you to consider doing it. It will change your marriage completely. It's called Love Dare. Now, many years ago, this journal came out. It's, you buy one for you and one for your spouse, and you go through it together. But there's a little devotional on each page, a prayer, and then some form of interaction with your spouse. It's only 40 days, uh, and you do this again together. I promise you, at the end of the 40 days, if you're faithful to living through that, your, your marriage is going to be richer, fuller, deeper. You're going to be more in love with each other, and you're going to be more in love with God than you've ever been before. The book's called Love Dare. If you haven't taken that challenge, I want to, I want to ask you to do that over the next 40 days. As we kind of wind down and wrap things up, I want you to remember that if you want your marriage to be different, if you want it to be deeper and more full, if you want it to seem like you've, you've got romance going on again, that you're more in love than you ever could be, Understand that to get what you've never had, you're going to have to do what you've never done. That's a difficult thing. To get what you've never had, you're going to have to do what you've never done. And so step outside yourself for a moment and think about where you want to be and what's it going to take for you to get there and how the Holy Spirit can help you move in that direction. And maybe you're in the middle of your marriage and you're looking back to the, the dating scene so many years ago and you love that moment of your time together. To get what you once had, you're going to have to do what you once did. And so as we think about our marriages and how God's called us to live together, it's this idea that we're going to invite God into our life, that I'm going to put myself on the back burner, that I'm going to make God my, my one, and I'm going to make my spouse my two, and I'm not going to stop pursuing my two. I'm going to pour into them every single day, just like God's called me to be the light, not only in our community, but in our marriage as well. It's a selfless moment for us to say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but I know Jesus Christ does, and so we're going to make him the center of everything that we do. As we sing this next song, our shepherds will be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess is maybe we've got some couples in here that are working through some forgiveness things. Maybe you're working through uh, something that was said that you just can't quite let go of. And I would encourage you to go find one of our shepherd couples, let them pray for you and over you, that you'd be able to move to a better spot in your relationship with your spouse, that you would be able to become everything God's created you to be in the marriage context.
And so let's stand together as God's family and give praise to his holy name.